If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fifth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please click that subscribe button. Follow us for authentic and encouraging Christian content. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. Or check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. You'll find blogs, sermons, study guides, podcast links, and lots of free stuff. We hope that you enjoy today's broadcast. spend some time talking about what it means to uh, develop leaders. Uh, what we would like to do is challenge ourselves in uh, this next month to the end of February 1st of March. We'll start talking about ministries that we have that need to be filled. Just as an example, uh, today, as a good example, we had um, uh, uh, Christie's out, and so we were trying to get the PowerPoint running. Uh, just now, and so sometimes the sound needs to be done, the internet needs to be done, uh, the uh, clicker. So I'm not as spry as I used to be. Uh, I don't mind going up and down the stairs, but running up and down the stairs isn't always a good thing. But there's always little things around here that we have that we need to do. So in the coming weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about how to how to fill those voids and to find our talent to be able to use it. So today, uh, I want to talk about seven things that we can do to develop. Uh, more leaders. And I'm talking about as a congregation, and also if you are in charge of the ministry, these are some things we can do to be able to develop good, strong uh, Christian leaders. The first thing is we've got to connect with people. Uh, one of the things that's hard is when you start announcing all the time jobs that need to be filled, people just hear it kind of as you know, noise. Instead, when we find that there are jobs that need to be done, uh, delegation is a big deal. Uh, you, can, you can obviously get, you can do the job of 10 men or you can get 10 men to do the jobs. So we have a choice as to whether or not we want to select people to help us in an effort. There are some people that work themselves to the bone because they don't trust other people to do the job. They're perfectionists. They feel like nobody else can do it as good as them. And um, as Christian leaders, we have to remember that everybody has a talent to do something. They have a gift, God-given gift to be able to use it. So we have to find a way to incorporate that, I do believe that one of the best ways to recruit people and to get people, we'll talk a little bit about recruitment next, is to be able to establish relationships with people. You should be able to ask. It's a whole lot easier than just making an announcement every week, but that you actually go to somebody and say, hey, you know, I noticed that you, after services, you know, you're looking for a Bible class teacher. So I noticed after services, you're always talking to the kids and playing with the kids, and you have a natural ability uh, you have a smile on your face. The kids love you. And you know what? I think it would be awesome if you would be a mentor for this congregation. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to be a mentor? Wouldn't you like to be somebody who the kids can look up to and say, I want to be like that person? Maybe tell a few stories about teachers that you knew growing up. And say, man, it would be great. Because the kids love you. And I can't think of anybody else to be better to be in there talking to them on Sunday morning than you. You'd be a great teacher. And you see what I did there? That was easy. That was simple. But it's a connection is that we go to someone and we pick them 
personally to do the job. That's how Jesus chose the apostles. He went to them one on one. We will never be able to grow great leaders unless there's a connection between us and between them. And that means that we've got to establish a trust. Uh, one reason why people don't sign up to be teachers is because the rumor is once you sign up, you do it till you die. You know, there's people that are sitting in a classroom somewhere on a Sunday morning that have been there for 60 years. So teachers don't like to sign up if they're afraid that they're going to be stuck in that class for the rest of their life. So they have to be able to trust. When you say, I have a job for you, then one thing is going to be, I, I know that you can do it. Another thing is, when you do it, they'll be praised for it. Some people in, in work will quit a job, not because they don't like what they do, not because they aren't enjoying the position, because they get no praise. There's no, uh, when I was working in uh, secular work, I used to be a manager at a pretzel store, and I often talk about Ann uh, and Charlie Nelson. They were the best employers I ever had. And one thing they did is they offered incentives. If certain records were breaking, broken, if there was the highest sales day, if we had, um, like they set a goal, we wanted to have so many sold pretzels or how many, whatever the, the thing was, we had a goal to set. And when we did, everybody on, on the, the, the list that day, even if you only came in for a couple hours, anybody who worked that day uh, got a pretzel point. And 25 pretzel points got you a $25 savings bond. And so working there for three and a half years, I accumulated a lot of $25 savings bonds. So when you get ready to go make a purchase 20 years later, and you look inside your safe and you go, man, I got, I got like $500 in savings bonds here that I can use for something. Teachers need to have incentives. Anybody who does a ministry needs to have an incentive that they know they're going to be praised for it, they're going to be complimented for the job that they do. In order to do that, we have to kind of strengthen our priorities. What is the most important part of the work of the church? Is the important part that we have the lights on? I mean, do we, if somebody drives by this building tonight, are we, is the number one priority that people see the lights are on, that they can come in if they want to, on the times that are set on the sign? Um, is our priority to be able to have uh, a number, like we want to have so many people in attendance, or we want to have so many baptisms in a year? Is we, I think we'd set a goal of 20 baptisms, and we're, we're doing really good right now. But that was just a goal for, to say, hey, we need to be having Bible studies with people. So what is our goal? As a church, if our goal is to help every person see the purpose that God has for their life, then we need to be connecting with people and finding out how other people can get involved with the work. Uh, sometimes people are on the sideline or they're on the bench for a long time, and we've got to figure out a way to pull them in and say, hey, you need to get in the game. You've got to be able to get in and get involved. One thing is to tell your story. Uh, when you talk to people, uh, you need to be able to have a, a relationship, especially with those inside the church, that you can talk about where you come from, what you've been through. Uh, you may not volunteer that on a first meeting. But when you're talking to people, they need to be able to know you. Uh, there are certain people that, preachers that I know, that when somebody passes away or when there's some tragedy that happens in the congregation, the family feels like the preacher or the elders are like their best friends because they're there. They're there for them. Members of the church that are there. We had that with... With Dottie, we've had that with another pe other people that have passed away, is that the family says, man, y'all are, you're up here more than the kids are. We had a, a man passed away some years ago in Gulf Shores, and we had about 40 people in his room that sang him into eternity, and none of them were family. None of them. His boys didn't show up. Um, we went in, we sang, we, we held his hand, we, and we prayed with him until he took his last breath. And so sometimes the relationship that we have with those inside of the church are the strongest relationships we have in our life. 
So if we want to develop great leaders, we've got to have a connection. And this is about community. This is about us working together. And I think that that means every person in the church needs to see that they're valuable. It does not matter whether they're two years old or 102 years old. It doesn't matter where they are, how long they've been a member of the congregation. Everybody needs to feel valued because they have something to contribute. And so that's, that's one thing we can do. We also need to be more receptive when we're asked to do things or whenever we're um, voluntold to do something. We say, you know what, I'll give it a try. I'll do it this one time. And so to develop great leaders, we've got to connect. Another thing is recruiting. And that means that we've got to be able to talk to people. We've got to be able to engage people and let them know that we do have an agenda. And that is to find a way to get you active. Uh, members that leave the church frequently or are in and out in attendance because they're not actively involved. And so we need to find a place for every person. And we do that by recruiting. Jesus had 120 that followed him. He commissioned the 70. He had the 12 that we call apostles. But he also had an inner three. Whenever he went off alone, he would take uh, Peter and James and John off by themselves. And then, of course, he had the one. He has John, who he leans on the chest of John at the Last Supper. And so you need to have people around you uh, that, that can easily fill the role. If you, as a, let's say you're a deacon or a ministry leader, and uh, you're wanting to make sure that it's successful, the best thing to do is to train your replacement. To have people behind you that should, God forbid, something happen to you, it would be easily handed off. Uh, I always use the illustration if, like, let's say tonight, if you get in here, lights are on, doors unlocked, and you come in here and you sit down, and I'm not here, and Billy's not here, okay? This is a real-life scenario. Billy's, Billy's at home, he's sick, and for some reason, I'm not here, must have had a flat tire, okay? Or let's say that uh, uh, all of our Bible class teachers, you know, James isn't here, Jason isn't here. I don't know how many of y'all teach class, but what would you do? Would you sit down and just go, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, Ken, what would you do? <laughs> get up, teach. If somebody's got to get up, say something. So surely somebody would step up uh, as a good leader you're looking for down the road who can replace you, who's someone else that can do the job. And Jesus did that. In fact, he said to his disciples, you're going to do greater things than I did. So if we want good leaders, we've got to recruit. And when we, uh, here in a few weeks, when we have the list of ministries that are available, think about where you fit, and also think about other people that can fit there with you. Uh, most, most leaders are going to reveal themselves as soon as they are given a chance. Um, and don't force or manipulate somebody to do something either. Don't guilt them into taking a job. Just tell them, hey, look, we've got a temporary thing. Would you help for just a moment? There's a way, there's a way to do it, to be able to recruit people. Uh, how many of y'all have been in sales before? Okay, so if you've ever been to, to classes or seminars or courses, uh, I, I, I've sold things before. I'm not a great salesman. I like to talk too much, and I get away from what the purpose of it's supposed to be. But oftentimes they'll tell you, you don't take no for an answer. Sometimes by the third, fourth, or fifth attempt uh, that you can close that sale, but you've got to keep working at it. And so some people are going to be hesitant to get involved. They may not want to be uh, up in front of people. It may be that they, uh, they just don't feel called to be in whatever ministry that you're helping with. But try to get people to volunteer uh, and, and give them a chance to try something new. Uh, just because I, I do a, um, I don't know that we'll do it in here, but I do a, a talent assessment test. I came up with a formula, and it's a triangle. And it's a formula where basically I ask you 100 questions. It's pretty in-depth. 
but you ask about 100 questions, and then at the end of it, based on your A, B, C, or D answer, we look at the 20 ministries of the church, or how many there are, and each of those answers tells me about where you would fit and what ministry. And I've done it for several churches. We haven't done it here, but when we did it one time in a congregation, this lady came up and she goes, it says that I'm supposed to be involved in youth. I said, well, how high is it? Is it a four or a five? She said, well, it's a five. And I was like, then you definitely need to be involved with, with kids. And she said, well, I didn't think that, that was my talent. I said, well, if you answered those questions and you were honest, then that's somewhere where you need to be. You have a passion for, for young people. Uh, and Jesus did a really good job, like I said, of trying to recruit people. So let's say that we'll make this practical tonight. Let's say that you are involved with a ministry and you have a couple of places you need people to fill, whether it's something that is for an event or it's something that could be a long-term thing. What are some things you could do to try to connect with somebody and to recruit them to help you in that work? Give me some ideas. Do what? Make them aware. Yeah. Awareness. First of all, some people don't know there's a need for it. They don't need. They don't know it's there. It's a great point. So they need to be uh, aware of whatever the need is and that it needs to be filled and the time frame it needs to be filled. What else would you do? Build excitement. Okay, excitement. This is, this is great. Everybody's going to want to be involved with this ministry. Something that, whether it be missions or evangelism. See? It's along the same line, but not you know, this way. But as a ship captain, when I was out there, all of my crew were 14,000 miles away from land. Right. I required that they were able to navigate. And I would make them plot my chart, you know, chart my plot and yeah. course and stuff and get all the, do the uh, offsets for the gravitational pull of earth and stuff to get the courses. Right. Make sure that the course was being right to know right. how to get on. Right. I required that they knew how to get on. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they could do a lot of things, whatever, but I did. Safety was the first thing and I, I made every one of them. From the, from the chief steward on the That's great. That's great. So everybody's trained and ready to take the lead if necessary. That's really good. What else to recruit and connect with people? Anybody? Any thoughts? One thing I think is you've got to let your team know or your protege that you're training that this is a learning experience and you are willing to take the criticism if it doesn't work out. In other words, if you're training somebody to do your job and you say, hey, look, if you mess up, this is not on you, it's on me because I'm training you. And, and people are more willing to follow or they're more willing to be uh, recruited if they know that, that it is a team type mentality where if I mess up, I'm not gonna get fired or I'm not gonna get all the blame because you're learning. There are certain things that can take any job that it may take you weeks, months, it may take years to fulfill it exactly the way it needs to be done. So training is important. You can't just hand someone you know, a job and say, here you go, if they have not done it before. So patience is another thing, being patient with people. Uh, another thing we need to do is we need to teach. And that's what we're doing in here on Sunday nights. Use, for, use teachable moments. With the kids, there are certain times that they may lead. Uh, and we have to tell them, you know, hey, look, we, we don't know that song, or uh, you need to talk closer to the microphone, or whatever the case may be. Same thing, whether it be transportation, education, fellowship, uh, that there are a list of things, and we say, these are the things that we want to do. These are the, these are the goals we want to accomplish. Have a vision statement. Have a mission for, for your ministry where you are. And then, whenever somebody comes in, or several people come in to help you, 
when there is something that happens, even if it's a critical error, it's a teachable moment. You say, well, here, how could we have done that differently? Um, what could we do to make sure that doesn't happen again? So you find ways to make application. You find ways to be able to, to teach and to train. And another thing, too, is don't lecture or critique people, especially when they're in those early stages. They're going to make a lot of mistakes. I think churches do this. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. This is one that is a pet peeve of mine. I think some churches are really hard on their preachers. They're young preachers. They have expectations for them, and they come in, and they, they are not great speakers. They're learning. They've never done full-time ministry before. They've never been required to do certain things. Be patient with young preachers. Um, I'm not as young as I used to be, but I remember in my early days, there are things, and Billy's talked about this too, when you're young, you, sometimes you have a little bit of boldness. You need to kind of knock it down a notch a little it's good to be bold and courageous, but sometimes they may say something or do something, and you pull them aside and say, hey, you know, let's kind of tone it down a little bit, or we need to be more guarded and careful in what we say, or something like that. But young leaders need to be given a little bit of a rope, a little bit of freedom to be able to try, and uh, they may mess up, but that's okay. Uh, teach them, train them. I've looked at sermons that I did when I was young. I, have, I used to have accept tapes of them, and I thought, man, I don't know who that kid is. He's terrible. You know, he's just... I don't know who he was, but he sounds a little bit like I used to, but surely he didn't you know, string together 15 scriptures in a row without giving him any application. Yes, he did. So, uh, so try not to lecture or critique somebody, and then celebrate them when they succeed. When, when somebody accomplishes something, like at the end, uh, last night is an example for the event, as soon as it was over with, uh, uh, Tyler and Cecily recognized everybody that had been there, and kind of talked about the people who cooked the meals, and all the people who participated in the games, and so... When you put on a, a successful event or, or succeed in meeting a goal, there needs to be an opportunity where you praise your team. There's nothing better uh, as, a, as a person that's volunteering than to have people say, you did a great job. We could not have accomplished this without you. When I teach at Heritage Christian University, I do Titus Camp, and we have a couple meetings throughout the year online. We either do it via Zoom or I'll do it on campus if I'm in Florence. And I always tell them, people say, why is Titus Camp so successful? Well, it doesn't have anything to do, well, it may not say it doesn't have anything to do, but it's not as successful just because of who's leading it in front. We have some great leaders. I've been directing it 20 years. I have a couple of assistant directors for the guys and a couple of assistant directors for the girls' part. But it's because I have gathered a good team. I have gathered a good staff. Uh, some of my staff members, they come, they volunteer their time, their energy. None of us get paid to do it. And they do a fantastic job. And so the camp is successful because I've got people in place. And we have rules. There are certain things. If you do this and this, you can't come back for counselors or campers. And they know that we have a level of um, you know, expectation that they need to meet. And they need to be spiritual. And they need to put God first throughout their year. We don't just select somebody because they're available that week. You know, I told some of our younger guys, we're watching your social media accounts. You know, you're supposed to be leading young people and mentoring young people. So if you post a bunch of stuff that's uh, inappropriate, you won't be back. We love you. Wish you the best. But we're trying to mentor young children uh, from the ages of 12, 13 to 19 how to lead in God's kingdom. And so you have those expectations. But I tell them all the time, I could not do it without them. And you need to really praise people. And then mentoring is a key. There are literally dozens of passages. I can take you to the Old Testament. Moses had Joshua ready to go. Uh, think about even with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were passing the torch to a child. But go through and look at people like Eli and Samuel, or Samuel and David. Uh, look at 
um, Mordecai and the way he mentored Esther. Think about there's so many people in the Bible, Ruth and Naomi, that, that they basically helped to get uh, their protege to where they needed them to be. And Jesus got his apostles. Uh, he went to them one by one. He had a great relationship with these guys. And so many examples about the necessity of mentoring. And I think you, you can, you should, mentor the next generation of leaders. I think this is great that the elders have a good relationship with the deacons. They should have meetings and conversations. As deacons and ministry leaders, we should be having meetings with our people underneath us, whether it's Vacation Bible School or Benevolence or whatever ministry we're in, we're thinking about other people that can help us, and we're bringing them in and saying, hey, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you the ropes. Uh, don't expect to kind of throw it to them uh, automatically. Don't throw them into the fire. But you can tell them, I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to lead you. And that way, you know, when they get older or when they have enough experience, they can, they can take the lead if something should happen. Uh, and then I also mentioned here, teens can mentor their peers. We have a program at Snook called Peer Leaders. And the older kids will take a day or a couple days throughout the week maybe to go to a younger class. And they help pass out books. They sing with them. They read to them. Uh, they help conduct a portion of the class program, whatever the teacher has assigned. But I have watched those kids who now are out of the program, graduated high school, that have mentored someone who now they're in the senior high youth group and they're mentoring the younger group. And there's nothing neater than seeing somebody you've trained or somebody you've taught go and do the same thing and taught and trained the next generation. You're kind of passing that baton. I don't think we should rule out our teenagers. Um, one of the things that bothers me is a lot of churches hesitate to use teenagers, teen leaders, and even young men in service. And we don't have a problem with that here, so I'm not going to dwell on it too long. But we should always be encouraging our younger people, even our teens, to lead. Um, and then a mentor is more friend than a judge. You should be uh, cautious and loving. Uh, you can correct. That's perfectly fine. Paul took several chances to correct Timothy and Titus. But mostly it was his relationship as a father-son that helped Timothy, groom him to be a great leader in the church. So uh, look around at people, especially younger people, and say, what can we do to get them excited about Christian living, get, get excited about ministry? I remember when I was a little kid, every time a kid wore a coat to church or a tie to church, somebody walk up to you, you knew it was going to happen. I said, oh, are you preaching today? You know, because you got your tie on, you're looking so good. Um, we need to be encouraging our kids that they need to lead. We want you to lead. We want you to be involved. So mentor them like, like Paul did for Timothy. Uh, and, yeah, go ahead. You, My drink. You, you're kind of referring to, to the youth. But the youth may be someone who has been going to church for 50 years and hasn't been doing anything. Right. As, you know? Right. It may be an older youth. Mm-hmm. They have to Young feel comfortable, the faith. and we have to encourage them before they go to try. Right. Ease into uh, whatever your role is. Ease into it. Uh, sometimes we automatically think about ministry as something work-oriented, like you have to use your hands and your feet. That's not necessarily the case. Some people, their ministry is being an encourager. Their ministry is being someone who praises who sends cards, who makes calls, who encourages people whenever they're doing something successful. There is a ministry listed there, Romans chapter 12, uh, that there are people that their, their role is to just encourage. 
sometimes, and, and this is uh, something we don't talk about a lot, there are some people in the church that are visionaries. They have wisdom. And so it's good to have somebody on your team involved in your ministry or your work that has some vision that says, you know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see this or that. One of my favorite quotes, it was during the parade of Walt Disney World. And Mrs. Disney is sitting there and it's like uh, Walter Cronkite, I think, is interviewing her and says, you know, uh, it's such a shame that Mr. Disney is not here to see all of this. And he's not here to see this parade. And she just looks straight at him and she goes, well, if Walt hadn't seen it many years ago, you wouldn't be seeing it today. He had the vision. He had something in his mind he wanted to accomplish. And so great leaders are, are often visionaries. And so some people that need to be on your team, that are, what, what is their role? Well, that's our prayer warrior on the team. You know, that's, that's the ones who will be praying for us. And also, here's someone, you know, sometimes we talk about giving. There's people that financially, their, their gift to the church is that they can open their pocketbook and help ministries and work. So you want somebody on your team that believes in the work and the cause. You know, you see all these schools with boards. You know how a lot of these people get these jobs or boards and corporations? It's because they're donors or they're hard workers. So they get selected because they've already shown that they're engaged and involved. And so we have to be able to do that and try to pull people in, say, get involved. Maybe we've got a prayer warrior. Maybe we've got a visionary. We said, we're going to put up a drawing board of what we want to accomplish. And then we get somebody there who can't physically do it. But they can say, you know, when I was here, we did that. I did here, we did this. And write all that down. Put a vision on the board of what you can accomplish. And then equipping uh, is the next one. And that is a biblical thought in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul talks about equipping the saints for ministry. And that is giving them the tools that are necessary. Um, Which would you prefer? Let's say you have car trouble. And you need somebody to work on your vehicle. Usually, these days, if it's significant, it's better to trade or sell the car than to do the repairs. But let's say that you have something that's wrong with your vehicle. You have, it's outside of your expertise. You can no longer do it. Which would you prefer? Would you rather have someone who has a big shop, somebody who has several employees with all kinds of certification on the walls that you've never even heard of, you guys that are, you know, they got their hands dirty and they're out there working their tails off, and, and a, a group that's well-known, well-respected, or would you rather drive it to the uh, Home Depot or Lowe's parking lot and park it and see if somebody shows up and can help? What would you choose? You know, would you choose experience? Yeah. Would you choose a, a, a group of people that at least look like they know what they're doing? There are some leaders that are in positions of leadership and they look like deer in the headlights. They have no clue what they're doing. They've been given no instruction. Oh, you're over, you know, let's say... Uh, you know, today, officially tonight, here we do buy, uh, say, Lewis is in charge of transportation. All right, you're in charge of transportation as of tonight. This is your job. Um, do you have a CDL? No. Oh, that's not good. You need to go get one because you're on transportation. You need to go to get a CDL. I don't even know where the keys are. Well, we'll find it. Well, you can give you the keys. You, you can do this. You can do this. We'll give you the keys. You can, you can just go get your CDL, and then you can drive the bus. And, and, uh, and, and oh, by the way, you know, you need to change the tires out. You need to change the wiper blades and the... By that time, you're giving away time enough to change congregation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Find me a new church. <laughs> and you say, and you say, okay, well now, at what point, at what point do you have the freedom to make decisions? 
And I see a lot of deacons, this happens, where uh, they're put in charge of the ministry, and then you go to do stuff, and they go, oh, wait a minute, we don't have the money to do that. Well, there needs to be a budget that's given to a deacon to say, here's how much we expect you to be able to do. And you're within the confines of this budget because the church has a budget based on everything that we do. So, you know, Lewis just says, you know what, I think we need to go in there and we need to put TVs behind every headrest in that bus. And I think we need to redo all the seats to make them leather. I think it needs a new paint job. And he walks in with a receipt for $25,000 of repairs on a vehicle. You know, now I'm not saying that he would do that. But let's say it's $10,000 worth of repairs. He thought that it needed on the vehicle. And so uh, the elders say, well, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who authorized you to do this? Who, who said you could do all this? And you say, well, I was in charge. You did. You told me I could do it. So it's a lot of deacons get burned out because they aren't given the right parameters. They're not given enough information. And it's really hard when elders do deacon jobs. And deacons don't know what their job is. They don't know what it is. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do it? Listen. You just alluded to something that I feel is critical, and that is for each job you want to fill, you need to have a thorough job description. Yes, absolutely. That is critical, a job description of what is required. And also, uh, it helps you to stay in your lane, that you know what your role is, and how to fulfill it. And if you do that, you'll do a good job. Uh, if you know how and what to do. I always like to have my limits. You know, like if they say, here's a description of what you can do. I know what I'm going to be held accountable for. And I also know what my mentors are going to be held accountable for. That I know that you're going to do this and I'm going to do this. I need to know where I'm at. There's nothing worse than getting to a job site and just turning people loose. You know, you go, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, I don't know. We're going to put you on the roof. <laughs> Well, I don't like heights. Well, that's too bad. Somebody's got to get up there. And that's the way it is sometimes in the church. We've got 40 things that need to be done, and so we're just going to start assigning jobs. And there's an easier, there's a better way to do it. But I think equipping means you give them the tools. If you are asked, let's say you, there's a, uh, a job that comes up and you're, you're told to be over transportation, uh, and you're not a mechanic, and you don't understand the ins and outs of the vehicle. You've never even changed your own oil before. you got no clue. I don't know. I, I can't do these things. You need to be given tools and training. One reason why a lot of deacons get burned out is they aren't trained to do something. They, they say, well, here's a job. You're going to do great with it. And they don't know exactly how to do it. And so then they fail. And when they fail, they feel like they're the mistake. But really, it's just they haven't been trained. Nobody's given them any tools to be able to accomplish it. If you want someone to be successful, put the right tools in their hand. I have, in the last five years, and I'm, I'm not a, I, I don't have a, well, I do have a pretty good sized garage, but I have a lot of tools over the last few years I've accumulated just because I go to do a job, and I realize that I don't have the right tool to make that happen, and if I use what I've got, I could probably get it done, but if I go get the exact tool uh, they've got now, if you buy a bucket of screws, you better make sure that you've got the head. It's, they're not all Phillips anymore. Some of them are squares and stars and you know, I'm sure they probably got some with Mickey Mouse on the top of them, but all kinds of designs. And so you, you go get, I did that. I was going to put together some stuff on the fence. And I went and just grabbed a bucket of screws. And it was in a stack with a bunch of Phillips. I get it home and it's a square. I said, well, I don't have no head for a square. So I'm going to have to take the screws back. And I didn't know that inside of the actual container, if there was in a little plastic bag, the exact head you needed. So then you feel bad. You're like, oh, well, go back home and do it right. But you need to have the tools to do the job. You have to have the tools to do the job. So we need to equip people, as, as Paul says, 
Some are apostles, some are pastors, teachers, evangelists, for the equipping of the saints for ministry. So we have to equip each other to do the job right. Any thoughts on that before we move to the next one? I had a situation one time that I was put in charge of something. Uh -huh. And uh, part of the deal was I need a budget. Right. We agreed on a budget. And when it came time to spend that budget, now you can't. It wasn't there. Yeah. It wasn't there. You know? And that, that's, that kind of cripples people if, yeah. they, if they're out to do the job. Right. And they try to do the job. And then those that have put them in the position yeah. aren't standing behind to, right. to help them make it happen. Right. You know? And, and, and I, this is an example. I hate to share this, but I will because it's, it's, a, it's a sad commentary on ministry itself. But we had a deacon at a church who um, he was given a budget. And he went out and blew every penny the first week he had it. And um, what he purchased was not approved. And the elders took everything, all the stuff that he had purchased. And he said, well, do I get replacements? And they said, no, you blew your budget on these books. And we don't want those books to be used. And so he was stuck for a year without finances and without material to do the ministry he was in. And so we, we can't punish people like that. Sometimes if somebody makes a mistake, you say, hey, look, don't do that. In his case, it wasn't a mistake. He bought something that he could use. They just didn't approve him using it. And there's nothing worse than doing a job of being micromanaged, being told every second to do this. Well, what, what are you doing? Well, I've got this job. Well, you're going to do it this way, right? I was at a business once, and the owner was out there in the front yard of the uh, where all the bushes were and everything, all the landscaping. And he's out there with a rake and a shuffle. And he's like, you got to do it like this. you got to do it like I mean, you do this. You see, see what I'm doing? And the three guys are sitting there going, yeah, boss. We see it. And he's out there with, this, you see what I'm doing? This is how you do it. This is how you do it. And they're going, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Like this. No, no, like this, like this. And so he ends up doing the whole job. Those three guys got a pass for an hour. They sit there and watch him work frantically. So it's very, as a, as a person who's involved in ministry, it's very hard when you're always looking over your shoulder saying, do you trust me? If you trust me to do the job, then trust me to do the job. I'm going to do well. Is that the girls are in? I, I just saw the door shut. Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. For the classes? Yeah, probably. Got worked up. Yeah. And ideally, and I hope we can do this here at Summerdale, first of all, every ministry should have a budget. Yeah. For example, a youth worker should have a budget. And I would think that they would know more of what they would need in their budget. Right. Right. That's a good question. It would have to be the elders. Uh, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. It, it, it has to be. 
coaching, uh, there comes a point when you need to move to the sidelines. Uh, it's hard for some of us, especially when we've been doing something for so long, but you have to, at some point, step to the sidelines. Uh, I know a lot of people that took the day off, and uh, a lot of people that grieved when Saban announced his retirement. You know, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. I'm taking a break. I'm not going to coach. People just lost their minds. But good coaches have a good staff around them. <laughs> they have a staff around them that can take the job. You just go back and look at some great coaches as an example of the guys on the sidelines with them, the people that they worked with and they coached, and then the players that they coached go on and then they become coaches. And so the same thing is true in ministry. We have to at some point go to the sidelines and say, I want you to lead. I'm going to stand over here. I'll be here if you need me. Uh, but I'm going to let you call the plays, or I'm going to call the plays and send them in, and you execute it. But you have got to give people freedom to do, to use their talents. That birds have to leave the nest. Do you know how eagles get their kids out of the nest? This is a great point, by the way, parents. They make, they make the nest as uncomfortable as possible. They remove all the feathers. They remove everything but the thorns and the thistles. And then when they are messing around and, and they're uncomfortable and they get towards the edge, they'll push them out of the nest. As in our houses, we make our kids so comfortable, go to your room. Oh, you mean the room that has the Xbox and the 48-scrench TV, and, you know, and, 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 and I got my little mini, mini fridge in there, stocked full of drinks, and, and you're not going to bug me? Great, you know, because their nest is so lavish and beautiful. Uh, you need to get to a point where you tell people you're not going to be able to be underneath my shadow. You're going to have to step out and do this thing. And so push people. Maybe not necessarily push them over, but push them. Yeah. Right. I, 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 when you were talking about that, it made me think about, I'm talking about Saban, I'm going to talk about Gene Stallings. But yeah. when, when Stallings was leaving Alabama and, and in his press conference, the thing that always stuck out to me that, that he said was, and I'm going to paraphrase, but that if I've done anything, I've, I, I, it's because I stood on the shoulders of giants. Right. And, and it's an idea of we're only as good, and I, I know this is true in, in, in all kind of coaching, you know, uh, but it's true in life, that we're only as good as, as, as the person that's under us. That's right. Uh, you know, and, and, and so if we've got to coach them and have them ready to be able to, uh, to step up when, when, when the time comes, because we're not, we're, like I said, you know, we may not be there forever, mm -hmm. but but good coaching is is, is preparing people uh, to carry that load right. and, and carry your load and help you help you accomplish the things that, that your the goal that you have. 
I would love to see when we put our ministry booklet together, our new ministry booklet we'll put together before, probably in the summer, before the summer this year, that those that are doing ministries and deacons that have a list of people that we can put in there with you, not just your name and picture, but other people. Who's your assistant? Who's, who's, your, who's your backup, your replacement if needed? Who are the people? on Every teacher's name ought to be in that booklet because every teacher works within the education ministry of the church. So teachers, you know, kindergarten through second grade, third grade through sixth grade, teenage teachers, every person in the church should have their name in that book in some of those categories. Some may be in several of those categories. But by, by coaching people and getting them on board, then they get the praise that they deserve. And they, inside the book, it says this person is involved. Our, uh, when people come and place membership, I would love to see this. I've seen churches do it. As soon as somebody announces their membership, there are two deacons fighting in the hallway to get to them, you know? Like, oh, I need you in the, this ministry. No, 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 I need you in this ministry. And, and, and new members should feel like they have a list of the different things that they could be engaged in. Uh, but give, give them a little bit of freedom. Well, you have one to do that. Where, where is he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And I, we love it when people get ready to come in and they want to work. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. That's great. That's right. We will. We will. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, those are all really, really good. And then the last thing tonight is the approval. Um, if you've ever had a mentor before that really encouraged you and built you up, that needs to be your model in your mind for what kind of a leader you want to be, because you want to encourage people. I had some young, I, my favorite people in the world when I was a kid was preachers. And it was because I, I loved that they spoke with boldness. I loved that they seemed to be Wherever they were, whatever they had to deal with in the week, they got up, they were poised, they, they eloquently presented a message, and they were spiritual men. And there were times that uh, when I worked at the pretzel store, we had a preacher, he was in Sparta, Greeley Kirkpatrick, and uh, he was at a totally different church than me. Anytime he was in a gospel meeting somewhere, I as a teenage boy would go hear him because I thought he was a great speaker. And uh, he would, anytime he was at, in Springfield, he'd stop the mall at the pretzel store and say hello. He wasn't my preacher. He wasn't even a preacher of somebody in my family. But he knew that I liked him, and he was a good guy. And he would stop and say hello. And I think about other preachers, like Carl Herndon. And I think about uh, Jack Cole, who still is at the Rogersville Church where I grew up. Uh, you have people like that in your life that have mentored you. So set in your mind, you want to be like that person. You want to be like the person that mentored you and gave you some encouragement. So seek out wise leaders, honor them if they're mature, they're making good decisions, and then just, I, I put in there, have fun, uh, spend quality time with each other. Our ministries ought to have a night where you can come together and pray together and talk about with vision what you're going to do next. Um, spend good quality time together. All right, that's all we have time for tonight.
Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. Be sure to like and follow and subscribe to our social media pages. You can find channels and links on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok pages. Check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to contribute to the show, if you want to send some prayer requests or suggestions about upcoming content, please email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Hope you have a wonderful day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.